word. So, uh, Nancy, you're with me? Okay, good. <laughs> uh, we have been talking about the blood of Jesus. That is very good. Good. After 10 sermons, at least you, we know the title. That's a good thing. <laughs> We're talking about the blood of Jesus. Today is our topic number nine, but it is sermon number 10. So let's uh, over recap the whole thing. I think by the time we're done, we go over all the scripture. It will be my sermon, okay? And just sit down. It has been half an hour. All right, so what did we talk about so far? Number one, what blessing do we have in the blood of Jesus? Forgiveness, Forgiveness of sin. What is the scripture for that? Uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Help me out, people. Yeah, go for it, Nancy. What does it say? Without the blood shed, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Amen. Uh, Barb, <laughs> that's your standard answer. And then Nancy goes with the scripture for entering into the holy places, which references that? Hebrews 10. 10, correct. We have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. The third blessing was... New covenant. I think we're going to have the system down shortly. New covenant. And the scripture for that, Nancy? <laughs> well, well, you're coming, Wayne. You're coming. What did you do last time? You did uh, price. You did the purchasing, right? So it's coming for you. <laughs> Luke, Luke 22. This is it's absolutely several. This is, Jesus said, this is the blood. Um, of the new covenant that was shed for many for the remission of sin. And then number four, Wayne. Okay, no problem. <laughs> was, what was the fourth blessing? We are purchased by the blood, right? Is that what, purchased by the blood, perfect. The scripture for that in Revelation chapter 5, when the multitude stand before the Lamb and say, you worthy Lamb to take the scroll and open it because you were slain. And you have purchased us to God your Father by your blood. That's number uh, four, purchased by the blood. Number five, we are acquired by the blood. Perfect, Justina, you got it. And that is Acts 20.28. 20, I don't know why I remember the verse for this one. Acts 20.28, 20, um, the church of God, that's what Paul said, which he has acquired, owned by the blood of his own, his own blood. That was number four. Five, right? Number six now. What is the sixth blessing? Redeemed. We're redeemed. Yeah, three to seven. Redeemed by the blood. First uh, Peter 1, 18 and 19. What did Peter say? He said that we have not been redeemed with corruptible things. This is just powerful. We have not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from our aimless conduct. If you know it, just share with, say it out loud with me. With our aimless conduct that we have inherited from our forefathers. But with a precious blood, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, the blood of Christ. Amen? So that was redeemed by the blood. And then we are, Justina? Freed. We have been set free by the blood of Jesus. And that is Revelation chapter 1, right? And the scripture, it's a hymn to the lamb, a song to the lamb. And it says this, to him, help me out if you can, to him who loved us, so much so that he has redeemed us from our sins. He has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us what? Kings and 
priests. Amen. So we have been freed by the blood. And last week we talked about we have been reconciled to God by the blood. And that's from Colossians chapter 1. What is it? 18 and 19? 19 19 to 21? Something like that. Okay. 19 to 21. What does it say? It says this. It pleased God to do two things. One, that in Christ all the fullness will dwell. And number two, to reconcile all things to himself. To God the Father. You know, in him, in Jesus. Things that are in heaven and things that are on earth. Having made peace. How? By the blood of his cross, by his blood shed on the cross. Amen? And not only that, this is powerful. And you who were once alienated and enemies, in our, in your thoughts, expressed in evil works, what did Jesus do? He has reconciled us to God. How? In his physical body, right? Through death. Amen? Amen. Why? To present us in God's sight, holy, without blame, blameless, without blemish, and Beyond reproach. Nobody can approach us before God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God for that. Today, we're going to talk about number nine. And that is, we are brought near by the blood of Jesus to God. Amen? This passage is very similar um, to the one that we were talking about last week. So they kind of loosely connected. We're going to read a a rather large passage. And we're going to try to focus on that point. How we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Amen? So that is Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. Here is what Paul said. Therefore remember that formerly you were, you, um, that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who called themselves that circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. Verse 13. But now, praise God for that. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off, far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law which, with its commandments and regulation. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both to both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have one access to the Father by one spirit. Amen. Consequently, for verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Praise God for this verse. Amen. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Amen. Built on the foundations of the apostle and the prophet with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple In the Lord. Amen. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. Large passage, but um, it's needed to understand what did Paul mean when he said that we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Amen. 
Let me start by um, apologizing to you guys. Last week, I used a, a scripture wrongly, and I just didn't know about it. I, uh, for years, I thought it meant the way I preached it last week, till this week, when I started studying that passage, and I found myself to be wrong. So here it is. Last week, I used that verse, verse 15, when it says, uh, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulation, and I use that verse as a, an example, how we are enemies to God through our evil works, right? But I was wrong. I didn't know. I was thinking it, that's what it meant. But it actually it doesn't say that. It's actually um, the law of commandments. That's the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. In other words, if we read verse 14 forward, it's going to go as follows. For he himself is our peace. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who has made the two groups, the Gentiles and the Jews, one. And has destroyed the barrier. That is the dividing wall of, his, uh, of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh that barrier, which is the law with its commandments and regulation. So the barrier, the, the wall of hostility between the Jews and the Greek, with the law that God gave Israel that declared the Gentiles unclean and has a lot of ceremonies to it that declares that you cannot mix with the Gentiles and that was the barrier there between the Jews and the Greek and then then it says his purpose why by by abolishing the hostility by abolishing that entity by abolishing that ceremonial law his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity so when that law went away that ceremonial law went away now the Jews and the Greek became one okay one new human being out of the two, thus making peace between the Jews and the Greek. Verse 16, now he's talking about reconciling to God. And he said, and in one body, that is the one body of the Jews and the Greek combined, uh, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put their, uh, to put to death the hostility. Now this is the hostility between God and man, okay? Uh, I don't know. I had that book, Ephesians, memorized when I was in college. And I went through that chapter probably a hundred times since I got saved. I always understood it that he went from talking about the enmity between the Jews and the Greek to enmity with God. And then he repeated the whole idea again. I bet, uh, but I was wrong. So here it is. You know, go back to the notes and scratch it off from last week. Okay. So now let's uh, dig into this passage right now and try to understand what is Paul talking about when he said that we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Amen? So, in our passage, Paul is discussing two hostilities, two enmities. One between the Jews and the Greek, and then one between mankind and God. Okay? The one between the Jews and the Greek is a minor one. It's a small uh, enmity, okay? But the major one, the really big problem is the one between all humankind and God. Amen? So he starts verse 11 and 12 talking to the Gentiles. And he's saying, remember, you were disadvantaged before Christ in so many ways. And Israel as a nation, the nation of Israel, was better than you in so many ways. Or... You were further from God, okay? And the Jews were a little bit closer to God, okay? How? Here is what it says in verse um, 12. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. Comparing to the Jews who didn't know Christ, but they had the promise that Christ will come from their, um, from their nation in the flesh, right? They had the promise of the Messiah. The Gentiles didn't have that. And then he said, 
without um, separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel. With, with that comes a lot of advantages because that was God's chosen people in the Old Testament. But he said, you as Gentiles were excluded from that. And then he said, and you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Israel as a nation, God has so many covenants with it. Covenant with Abraham, with um, Isaac, with David. So many covenants God had with the nation of Israel. And he had the promise that he's going to send them the Messiah. Now, the Gentiles were separated from all of that. And then he said, without hope and without the true God. The Israel was worshipping the true God, but the Gentiles in that time were not worshipping the true God. So he's telling them, Remember back then, as Gentiles, you were a little bit further away from God. The Jews, on the other hand, was, were a little bit closer to God because they have all these advantages. Amen? Amen? But now, let's think about this for a second. If you go back with me to the very end of that page, when Paul says that, he's not implying that if you're a Jew, you are more saved than the Gentile before Christ. All right? Let's go through the advantages. And I'm going to show you that Paul, even though the Jews has a lot of advantages, yet they still under sin and they're still separate from Christ. Amen? So let's go through some of these advantages. Number one, in verse 11, he said that the Gentiles were not circumcised with the circumcision made in the flesh. But Paul himself tells us in Romans 2.29 this, that the true circumcision is not the one made in the flesh, it's the circumcision of the heart. Amen? So Paul understands. When he tells the Gentiles, you were not having that physical sign of a covenant with God, he knows that this is a disadvantage, but in the same time, he knows that true circumcision is the thing that happens in the heart when we repent of our sins. Amen? So it's not saying that the Jews are more saved than you are. It is just... They're closer to the living God. You're a little bit further away from the living God. Amen. Number two, he said that um, they had the promise of the Messiah. The Jews had the promise of the Messiah. But we know from John 1.11 that he came to his own and his own rejected him. So we know that even though they had the promise, they rejected the Messiah himself. So that's bad for the Jews, right? Number three, he said that they have the covenants, right? But he told, God said in Jeremiah 31.32 that... My covenant, they have broke. So we know that even though they have the covenants, but they kept on breaking these covenants. Amen? So they're not really any better at the end of the day, right? When can you open the door? It's a little bit warm in here. Um, they had the covenants, but they broke the covenants. And, and finally here it says that you are, um, they might be members of the commonwealth of Israel, but you remember what we read last week? The whole world is alienated from God. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. You're alienated from God because of sin that you think about and that you practice. Amen? So what is the point here? Let's read that verse, um, Romans 3, 9 to 12. It's the same Paul who wrote here in, who wrote here in Ephesians. He said, what then? Are the Jews better off? That's uh, Romans 3, 9 to 12, when it comes to salvation. No, not at all. For we, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greek, are under sin. There is no difference. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek. Everybody's under sin before God. And listen to this. For all have sinned and have come short before the glory of God. Right? So the concept that if you're a Jew, you are more saved than a Gentile. Not the case, right? They have some advantages, but it's nothing much when it comes to salvation, right? I think about it this way. Like, when you go out evangelizing, and you, you share with, with somebody who's a Catholic, 
versus somebody who's a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist, right? The Catholic already have some common ground with them. They already believe the Bible. They already believe Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross. So they're a little bit closer to God because they have a lot, a lot more advantages than a Muslim who even deny the Bible, deny the deity of Christ, deny the need for Jesus to die on the cross to, to be saved. So a Catholic will be a little bit more closer to the truth, um, but a Muslim will be a little bit further away from the truth. But at the end of the day, they're both lost before God. Does that make sense? And that's even in our context here. Look what Paul said in verse 17. He said that after Jesus made peace on the cross, he came and preached peace to you who are far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, that's the Jews. So Paul didn't say that after Jesus made peace on the cross, he only went and preached to the Gentiles because they needed. He said he preached it to the Gentiles who are far away and the Jews who are slightly closer because they both need to have peace with God. Amen? So again, guys, it's, do you understand what I'm coming to from here, what Paul is trying to say? Being a Jew is a little bit more advantaged. You're slightly closer to God, but when it comes to salvation and having eternal life, we're still all distant from God and separated from him. Amen? So what did Paul say that we looked like before Christ? He said that we have no covenants, right? That is indicated by the circumcision. That's the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. We had, we were without Christ, no Christ, no hope, no God, and no promise. This is bad, 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 bad. This is our condition before Jesus. Amen? But now, here is the good news. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Jesus. Amen? So let's look how far we really were and how close we have really become because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Four things, real quick. Number one, we were enemies to God, but now we have peace with God. Okay? Number two, we were apart from Christ, but now he is the chief cornerstone and we are secured and anchored in him. Amen? Number three, we were excluded from the citizenship of Israel, but now we are fellow citizens with God's people. Amen? Now it says we were without God before Jesus, but now because of Jesus, we are members of his household and a whole lot more we're going to talk about. Amen. So this is how far we were and this is how close we have become because of the blood of Jesus. So let's talk about this. We were enemies and now we have peace with God, right? We talked about that last week. You guys remember? We were enemies in our thinking because Paul said that the mind set on sin is enmity to God, right? And we were enemies in our own desires because James said that loving the world is enmity to God, right? And in the context here of Ephesians, if we read the whole book, Paul says that you are, if you are an enemy with God, this is no fun. Because God doesn't take his enemies very lightly. He is serious about you being his enemy and he will go to punish his enemies one day. Amen? So many times in our book, Paul talks over and over and over about God is going to judge those who commit sin and are his enemies. For example, Ephesians 2, 3, it says that we are children of wrath. If you don't know Jesus, you are children, one of the children of wrath. So many others, like for example, again, he said, Let no man deceive you with empty words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. That's um, chapter 5, verse 6. And over and over and over again, 
there's scripture over and over again in that book that Paul says, if you are enemy with God, God is going to punish sin and his wrath is already declared against sin that mankind has committed. Amen? This is bad news, right? But this is exactly what we were without Christ before Jesus. We were far away, so far away that we were God's enemies, right? But now, amen? But now, in Christ Jesus, say it with me, people. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Amen? We were so far as being his enemies. Now, we have peace with God. Right? He said that Jesus has removed that enmity between God and man. And he has made peace. He has came and preached peace to those who are far away and those who are near. Right? It also said that he is our peace. Right? Now, this is good. This is very good. In the Middle East, the whole word peace is shalom. And the, the word doesn't necessarily mean the absence of strife. Right? It, it means mainly the presence of the full blessing, right? So the word doesn't have a negative meaning, it has a positive meaning. You guys follow me. Let me explain that to you. When Jesus came to the disciples in the upper room after his resurrection, he showed up. What did Jesus how did Jesus greet them? He didn't say, Hey guys, what's up? Right? Nope, he didn't say that. What how did Jesus greet his disciples? He said, Peace to you, right? This is how he greeted them. Now, when Jesus greeted the disciples and said, peace to you, his every intention wasn't, I wish you guys don't get into a fight today, right? This is not what he meant, right? He meant that I hope, this is his greeting, I wish that the full blessing of God will be yours today. I wish that the wholeness and the completeness that God can only can bring will be yours today. That you will be, that every strife will be absent and every blessing will be present. Amen? So the word peace is not just a negative thing. It's like, oh, I wish you don't get in a fight or I wish you uh, get away from any, uh, you know, uh, problem today. It's more like I, that also included, but it's more than that. It's I wish that the full blessing of God would be yours today. Amen? It's like if Barbara and I meet in Cairo one day and we run into each other in the street and she says, peace to you, Cammy. She doesn't wish me not to get in a fight, even though that would be a very appropriate greeting. <laughs> She's wishing me the fullness of the blessing of God to be mine that day. Amen? And this is exactly what Jesus has done on the cross. He is our peace, the Bible says. And because of him, we have peace with God. Amen? It is not just that the enmity that we had with God before, because of sin has been abolished, but now the full blessing of God, the wholeness and the completeness that only God Almighty can bring is ours today. Amen? Amen. He is our peace. Praise Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. So we were enemies to God, but we have been brought so near that now we have peace with God. Amen? But not only that, we were apart from Christ, but now he is the chief cornerstone. Now, again, when Paul says that they were, the Gentiles were apart from Christ, he's more meaning that the Jews had the promise that the Messiah would come, but it doesn't mean that they have Christ. Paul himself told us in Romans 9, 4 to 5, he, he said, I wish, this is what he prayed. He said, I wish I will be separated from Christ myself for the sake of the Jews, my brethren. That's why he prayed in Romans. So what he's implying in Romans is this. The Jews are 
separated from Christ. They don't know him. They are cursed away from him. And Paul was saying, I wish I would be them and they would be me. I wish that I am the one who's separated from Christ so they can have Christ themselves. That's his prayer in the book of Romans, right? So when Paul tells us here in, in Ephesians chapter 2 that the Gentiles were not were separated from Christ. He's not implying that the Jews had Christ. It's just they're slightly advantaged because the, the Messiah is going to come from their offspring. Amen? But Jews and Greek, they were are without Christ before salvation. Amen? Now, if you guys remember um, when we shared about the exceeding riches of his grace, when we've spent six weeks talking about the, very, the first ten verses of that chapter, in that book, in the book of Ephesians, we know that to be in Christ is like all the blessings of God are available to us in Christ, right? I mean, Ephesians 1.3, the very beginning, after Paul said, hey, I'm Paul, hi, how are you? He said, blessed be the God of our Father, the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, where? In Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 1.3. From the very beginning, he's saying, all the blessings of God are in Christ Jesus. And if you go through that book, you're going to find that redemption is in Jesus. The grace of God is in Jesus. Reconciliation is in Jesus. Forgiveness is in Jesus. Every blessing that God has for a mankind can only be found where? In Jesus. So when he says here that we were separated from Christ, that we are without Jesus, that is extremely bad news, right? For Paul to say that we were excluded from Christ, that also means that we were excluded from any blessing that God can give a human being. We were excluded from redemption. We were excluded from forgiveness. We were excluded from the grace of God. We were excluded from becoming God's people, God's family. We were excluded from every blessing that God Almighty can ever have to do with a mankind. Amen? This is bad news to be without Christ. But that's exactly how we were before we came to know Jesus, right? We were without Christ. This is how far we were before salvation. But I have good news for you. Amen? Jesus said, the Bible said, but now, hallelujah, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you who were once so far away that you were without Christ, what happened to you? You have been brought near. So near that Paul tells us at the end of that passage that we are a building we're like bricks in that building. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Amen. This is how close we have become to be in Christ. Amen. Now the cornerstone is the stone that holds the building together. If, if you have a hundred brick and you take one from the building, nothing going to happen, right? But if you take the chief cornerstone, the whole building will collapse, right? That's the, the stone that holds the whole thing together, right? And that's exactly what Paul was trying to tell us here. That we were so far away, we were without Christ. But now, because of the blood of Jesus, we are anchored in Christ. We are secure in Christ. Nothing we can do that can mess up our relationship with God. Because all God's promises and all His blessings is secured in Christ. And we are secure in Him. Amen? Good news. But now, this is what Paul said. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen? We were enemies to God. Now we have peace with God. We were without Christ, but now we are anchored in who Jesus is. Amen? Number three. We were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. But now we are citizens, fellow citizens with God's people. Now, 
This is just good. This is just so good. Israel, again, as a nation, political nation, has some advantages in the Old Testament. And Paul said that you Gentiles were so far away from God that you were even excluded from the political citizenship of the nation of Israel, right? You weren't even Jews by blood. You weren't even Jews by your citizenship here on earth, right? But because of the blood of Jesus, we have been brought so near to God. And here is what the blood of Jesus has done. Amen? The blood of Jesus has abolished all nationalism. There's no more Jews and Gentiles. Even in our very passage, Paul said that he abolished the Jews, abolished the Greek, and has made one man, one humanity out of the two. And then he has reconciled both to God. Amen? So there's no more differentiation. There is no more... When there is no more, oh, I'm Jew, I'm Greek. It doesn't matter no more because we are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? What Paul was telling us here is this. We were so far away from God that we were not even natural citizens of the nation of Israel. But because of the blood of Jesus, we are now citizens of the nation of heaven. Amen? And that's exactly what he said in Philippians. He said this, Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is not in the commonwealth of Israel. Amen? Our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for a savior. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? No more Jews, no more Greek. It's only one and our citizenship now is in heaven. But not only that. Look. He said that, look at Galatians 3, 26 to 29. He said, no more differentiation. Look at this amazing scripture. Galatians 3, 26 to 29. For you all are sons of God. How? Through faith on Jesus Christ. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew or Greek. There is neither slave or free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? We are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. Now, you are the true seed of Abraham. It's not Israel anymore. It's those who are washed in the blood of Jesus. Amen? And you are heirs according to the promise. Look at this. In, in, in Ephesians, the verse we're just reading, Paul was saying that we have become fellow citizens of the people of God, right? Equal citizens of God's people, right? But look at what he said in the rest of that book and in other references as well. We are number one fellow citizens, but look at that. Ephesians 3, 6. To be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Colossians 4.11 These are the only men, talking about people, the only men of circumcision among my what? Fellow workers. We are fellow workers in the kingdom of God. And then Philemon 1.2 he said and Aphia and uh, our sister Aphia our sister and um, Archippus our what? Fellow soldier and the church that is in his home. Amen? No more Jews or Greek. Now we are all fellow citizens, fellow heirs, fellow partakers of the promise, fellow worker in the kingdom of God, and fellow soldiers serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. There is no more differentiation, no more. We are all one in Christ Jesus, and we are, our citizenship is in heaven. Amen? Amen. When I was doing my internship at, at Regent, I went to Michigan to um, work with the Muslims there, and um, I met a guy 
who uh, used to be a professor of Islamic history in uh, Al-Azhar University. If you, all, if you ever heard of that university, it's the most prestigious university in the whole wide world. It's in Cairo, Egypt. And it sends thousands of missionaries all over the world every single year. People come from all over the world to study Islam in that university. I think it's a thousand years old or so. Huge. Very well known all over the world. And this guy used to teach Islamic history. And then he started reading so much about Muhammad and about his life and what he commanded. He came to the conclusion this can never be God. Or sent from God. Or this can never be a man of God. And he turned atheist for a year. And then a Christian from Egypt gave him a Bible and he started reading. And God guided him. He opened the Bible to, um, to uh, Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus said love your enemy. I mean here's the guy who grew up seeing Muhammad betraying his friend, murdering people, butchering them just because they don't want to agree with him. And then he opens the Bible and the very first words he reads, love your enemies. And he said, I knew that this is God. I knew this is God's word. He read through the whole Bible. I think uh, the whole night read through the scripture. Next morning he prayed and he became a Christian. First thing, his father shooting him, trying to kill him because he became a Christian. Anyways, long story short, I, I, he's a great man of God now. And he, I met with him and he wrote so many books. And he gave me one of these books as a gift. And you know how he signed it? He said, um, this is Mark. And then he said, your brother in the blood of Jesus. And it just hit me. I just remembered that phrase when I was studying this passage. He said, you are my brother in Jesus' blood. Amen. And today's friends, it doesn't matter if you're black or white. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you have a PhD or you don't even have a school degree or you've ever been to school. It doesn't matter if you've been a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist. It doesn't matter if you've been a serial killer or a child molester or a rapist. Once you are washed in the blood of Jesus, you are my brother and sister. Amen. Amen. We are all one in Christ Jesus because of that blood. Amen? Amen. 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 But number four, we were without God, but now we have access to God. Now, Paul said that we were without hope as well. And that's probably a reference to a scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. He said, I do not want you to be ignorant, talking to the church. And he said, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So he's saying that to be without Christ, to be without, not a Christian, you're still without hope. And then probably he, they are without hope because Paul tells us that Christ is the hope of glory, right? So to be without Christ is to be without hope. And Paul said that we were so far away, so far away from God that we were without God, without knowledge of the true God, right? But now, because of the blood of Jesus, ready for some good news? Because of the blood of Jesus, but now, Paul said, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Amen? So near. That Paul tells us three things that happen to us now. Remember, we were without God. But now because of the blood of Jesus, look what happened. Number one, we have access to God, right? That's verse 18. He says that we all have one access, Jews and Greek. We have one access to God in the spirit. Now the word access, is literally mean like somebody helping you to have a confidence and the freedom to get in and out. It's kind of like somebody introduced you to something, you know. So somebody helping you out to have the freedom to access in and out from the presence of God. And it was used three times in, in the scripture. Number one, in uh, Romans 5.2, it says that we have access by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ to get into the grace of God. Amen. Ephesians 2.18, that's the one that we were just reading, that our access into 
through one spirit, through Christ into the Father. And then Ephesians 3.12, it says that the same axes, they're said to be in Christ um, and which we have in confidence through our faith in him. We have access with confidence in him. That's why he said in, in the following chapter. So access pretty much that Jesus, we were separated from God. We were isolated from him. But because Jesus knows God and Jesus knows us, he's the middleman. He introduced us and because of him, we have the freedom to enter and go out from the presence of God. We have access to the Father, not because we're good people, but because of what? The blood of Jesus. Amen. We were far away from God. Now we have access to God. But number two, we are members of his household. That's why he said, what kind of member? Are you a slave there in the household of God? Nope. You are a child of God. Amen. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the what? The right to be children of God. Galatians 3, 26. For you are all what? Sons of God. Children of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 1. See what manner of love is this, John says, that the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. We were enemies to God, but we were so far away from him. But now because of the blood of Jesus, we are God's own children. And last thing, we are God's dwelling place. That's why he said in the very last verse, verse 22, he said this. And in him, in Christ, you two are being built together to become what? A dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. This is amazing. The Bible tells us that we individually are God's temple, right? 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple individually? And that God's spirit dwells in you, right? But as a body, as a corporate body, as the church, we are a building and God dwells in us as a group of people, right? We just read that verse in Ephesians 2.22 and 1 Peter 2.5 says about the same thing. It says, you yourself like living stone are being built us as what? A spiritual house. To be what? A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice accepted to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter is telling us that we are a spiritual house to God. And we are to offer spiritual blessings, spiritual offering to God. Amen? Now think about it. Think about it. This is how powerful the blood of Jesus is. We were afar from God. We were without God. Of no knowledge of the living God. But now the blood of Jesus is so powerful that a holy and righteous God. That cannot accommodate or tolerate or come close to sin. Now willingly choose to live in us individually as at the church. What happened to sin? How can this holy God live with us and tolerate sin? Well, it is simple. He still doesn't tolerate sin. What happened is that the blood of Jesus had took care of our sins. And now, God who is still as holy, still as righteous, is still willing to live with us individually and dwell in us and as a congregation. Amen? We who were once afar off have now been brought near to God. How? By the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. This is good news, friends. Amen? Let's all close our eyes and pray.